this kind of free week mini-series, a bit of a spiritual MOT. So um, this evening, we're going to try and set the scene and just understand what it means for us here and now, 2017, in Parsons Green, to be uh, walking out our faith and what the spiritual uh, realities are. So let's read these verses together. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Rather, the weapons we fight with are, the weapon, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen. Amen. So um, about 10 years ago, um, I was a youth pastor in Manchester, and I decided to take uh, some of my young people, about 15 of them, down to a conference at a church called St. Andrews in Chorleywood. And Chorleywood is just north of London, kind of south Hertfordshire. And if you've ever been to Chorleywood, it is literally the nicest place in the world. It is quintessential Middle England, delightful, and very, very normal. Um, and as I gathered up the young people, it was, gosh, the biggest struggle to get down there. Um, one of the girls turned up, and she was a dancer, and she bust up her knee, so she was totally upset. And then she had to spend the whole minibus ride uh, down the uh, motorway with her legs stretched out, and there wasn't really room for that. Um, another kid was basically thrown into the minibus by his mother, completely and utterly hungover and hating Jesus. Half the girls weren't talking to each other. Um, we got halfway down the motorway, and I kid you not, the minibus just conked out. And we just freewheeled off the motorway, by prayer, I believe, uh, into a service station and landed at a petrol station. I prayed, turned out one of the kids had a kind of mechanical background. We managed to get the thing going and got to Chorleywood. Um, so by the time we got to Chorleywood, I was like, Lord, what is going on? Um, and then it was the most extraordinary three days. I don't think I've ever been in um, anything like it before that or after that. The presence of God just descended on this church, on this group of young people, on the kind of wider group that was gathered. And so over the course of the three days, um, there was still a real kind of spiritual wrestle. Um, a few of the kids were sort of saying, why isn't God meeting with me? And then slowly God met with each and every one of them. On the Friday night, which was the second night in, um, a chap, possibly the most prophetic person that I've ever come across, came to speak. And he just looked out at this group of young people and he said, there's one of you here and you're a dancer and you've broken your knee and God wants to heal you. And this girl was healed. It was extraordinary. Um, the really, really hungover kid radically gave his life to Jesus <laughs> on the Friday night. It was very, very exciting. His mum was so happy with me when we got back to Manchester. Um, and stuff like this just kept occurring. But again, around the edges, it felt like a real kind of spiritual um, grapple. One of the girls had been um, really suffering with depression. And on the second night, as we sort of drove back to our accommodation, she manifested a demon in the minibus. And I was like, oh, flipping heck. So I got sort of parked over, got most of the kids out, and just prayed for this girl in the name of Jesus, and things calmed down. But as I got back to Manchester, I thought, what on earth just happened? I just went to one of the most normal places in the world, and I've just seen kind of spiritual decimation in a really, really good way. And so that's what we want to kind of wrestle with this evening. Actually, what is going on for us as a church when spiritual realities hit home for us? So um, 
We have a PowerPoint. I apologize if it's a bit clip art, 1996. I'm very bad with technology, but I've done my best attempt at diagrams this evening. So what is going on? First slide, okay. There is a heavenly realm. I think we would all agree about that. And there's also our natural realm, our everyday lives. And actually, there's an intersection constantly. And we as the church are the people who live aware in that intersection. We're called to be aware that heaven constantly breaks into our earthly reality. So if we step back, I guess way, way before the creation of the world, God was God, all in all, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Heavenly host surrounding him, worshiping him, the heavenlies, the heavenly realm. And what we can glean from scripture, just from a few verses um, that you find in um, Ezekiel, Isaiah, up there, Jude, um, Revelation, is it seems that Lucifer, Satan, was in fact sort of the angel above all angels. And he decided to rebel against God. And there seems to be some sort of fight in the heavenlies. And Lucifer, Satan, was cast out, cast down, along with his sort of tribe, I guess, of angels. And then God decided to create the world. But Satan hates the world. And he especially hates us, us who are created in the image of God. And so now we live in this reality where the heavenlies are always intersecting with our earthly reality. And God is all in all. He is completely sovereign. But there is still this kind of slightly negative spiritual reality around too. There is a bit of a wrestle, a bit of a tussle. So the first thing we're called to as church is to be fundamentally aware of that reality. To not get it out of proportion, not see a demon behind every bush, but to be aware that there are spiritual realities and walk with that well. And then the second reality is in the person of Jesus. And so we know that when Jesus died on the cross and through his ministry, actually any power that Satan had was defeated once and for all. But also in the person of Jesus, in his ministry, the kingdom of God broke in in a new and significant way so that we can actually sit here as church knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within us, knowing that God has almost opened the toolbox of heaven and said, here's the gift of the Spirit, here's faith, here's hope, here's righteousness, pick this stuff up. I have broken into human history in a permanent way and you have full access to me. The kingdom has broken in in the person of Christ and the devil is utterly, utterly defeated. But we also know that everything is not perfect because there is a time coming where it says in Revelation 22, there's going to be another tree. This is a really dodgy painting I did once. I apologize. I couldn't get a tree in here. Um, so anyway, go with me. Um, that came out of going on my bap. So anyway, that's a whole other story. Sorry, tangent. Um, I'm blaming it on the cold. Um, there will be another tree. Revelation 22, Eden restored. Actually, that point of the new creation where all is gathered up before God, everything is made right again. And so we're people who live between the trees, between the tree of the cross and the tree of the new creation. We live in this interim reality. 
And I was wrestling with a way of expressing what that kind of means for who we are. Because we're both people who live in this interim reality and also people who are aware of the heavenlies and the earthly realities. And we live on this kind of border, in this borderland. And I came across this Sanskrit word uh, called antivasan. Antivasan. And it literally means one who lives at the border. And that expresses our lives as Christians so well that actually we're border people. We are ones who live on the border. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we live our earthly lives too. Border people living in this interim reality between the trees. So let's turn to, um, to scripture. Um, and I want to kind of be cautious with this. I've been wrestling with it all week. Um, in the charismatic tradition, if you've been brought up in um, that at all, which I have, we have made a lot of spiritual warfare, which kind of leads us to believe that there's big cosmic battles going on all the time, and Satan's like hurling this stuff at us, and we're trying to kind of keep away from it. And God's good, but, you know, oh, wrestle, wrestle. Um, but actually, when we come to Scripture, the term spiritual warfare isn't there anywhere. Actually, what Scripture depicts is more of a spiritual kind of wrestle for the believer. Because God is all in all. What is going on in the heavenlies is not some kind of pitched battle of equals. No, God is always, always on top. There is nothing in scripture that questions God's sovereignty. So actually, when Satan ever wants to be active in the life of the believer, scripture tells us that he has to come into the heavenlies and almost ask permission. So Job 1, Satan comes into the presence of God and has to say, will you allow me to sift Job? Luke 22, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Satan has asked that he might sift you but I will pray for you. There is nothing in scripture that questions God's sovereignty. It was done, it is finished on the cross. God is victorious and it's he who we worship. But because we're in this interim period, there is still something of a spiritual struggle, a spiritual wrestle. And we get um, a lot of our language about spiritual warfare, I think just from a few parts of Paul's letters, such as the one that we'll um, tuck into in a moment. But it's really important to remember that actually Paul was writing from the kind of Roman world. And what is Rome famous for, if nothing else, but an amazing army? So it makes complete contextual sense that actually Paul might occasionally use kind of military imagery. He might talk of um, the armor of God, of the helmet of um, salvation, the sword of the spirit, because he's writing into a world that understood military realities. I think sometimes what we've done is just extrapolate Paul's points and then turn them into quite a large theology. Because if spiritual warfare isn't there, what it is there is spiritual wrestling. So actually when we uh, read, say, Ephesians 6, which is probably uh, Paul's sort of biggest discourse that um, uses military language, what's going on there is less about a big kind of cosmic battle and more about the individual and how the individual as a Christian can walk out this life well. 
It's the crescendo of Paul's letter about the church. All of Ephesians is Paul's vision of the church, how we as the church are caught up in the life of Christ. And then he ends by saying, stand firm, stand firm. And this is how you stand firm. You stand firm through righteousness, through truth, which is the word of God, by imbibing scripture so that actually when things are thrown at us, we can just refute them with the word of God. We stand firm through the truth that Christ is all in all. And then we turn to um, this text in Corinthians. If we could have it up, that would be brilliant. Um, and again, just to think through the context a little bit. Um, actually, this is found in the subsection of 2 Corinthians, um, chapter 10 to 12, which is Paul's defense of his ministry. And Paul is basically being attacked on every side. He has been attacked by people he terms uh, false apostles, who are basically denying the cross. And so he's writing for a battleground of doctrine, saying, no, this is truth. And he's been attacked for his character. Actually, these people are saying, there's no way your gospel can be right. Because look at you. You're in chains. Look at you. You're persecuted. Look at you. You've been shipwrecked three times. And so he's writing again and again to say, actually, no, the character of a Christian is often one who faces hardship. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I will boast in my weakness because that raises up Christ. Actually, he is saying that a Christian's life is scarred, not superstarred. And so into that context of personal struggle and how to deal with it, he writes these words. Um, and the NIV is a brilliant translation, but I want to suggest this evening that it's actually just a slightly better translation. <laughs> so here we go. For though we live in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So actually verse 3, the emphasis is individual. The emphasis is in the flesh, in our flesh. Actually, this is about how to stand firm in times of personal struggle. And then we move to verse 4. Actually, what are these weapons? Well, these are the weapons of the kingdom that have broken in. It's the weapons uh, listed in Ephesians 6. It's righteousness. It's the truth of the word of God. It's the power, the sword of the spirit. And then we look at verse 5. And what's the battleground? The battleground is not some cosmic thing. Actually, the battleground is our thought life. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So often the way that Satan will harass us is through our thought life, through our minds. And so we take captive those thoughts and we conform them to Christ. We stand firm in the faith. That's what Paul's getting at. That's what scripture's getting at. That yes, there is a spiritual reality that includes Satan, but it's a spiritual wrestle and it's a daily walking things out, obedient to the word of God in the power of the spirit. And so what does this mean for all of us? Um, if we're these border people living on the precipice of heaven and earth. Well, first of all, we're called, I think, to an awareness of spiritual realities, but in proportion. 
you know, Satan is nothing more, really, than the great harasser. Look at what he does with Jesus in the wilderness. All he does is harass and point and niggle. And what does Jesus do? He stands firm and refutes him with the word of God. Actually, get to know scripture, guys. Stand on it. Let it dwell so deeply in you that when those thoughts come that says, you know, God isn't good. God's holding out on me. You can know from scripture by the spirit that that is not true. You can take hold of that thought and conform it to Christ. And Satan is not original. He's been doing the same thing for all of human history. Actually, Genesis 3, what do we see? First of all, it's a disconnection between us and God. Second of all, it's a disconnection between us and each other. And third of all, it's a disconnection between us and the creation. And that is all Satan ever does. Everything somehow falls into that sort of threefold bracket. So disconnection between us and God. He will so often whisper to us, God's not good. God's not sovereign. How could God love you? God's not really in control of that situation. No, he is. Disconnection between us and others. Actually, that's where our really individualistic culture falls down the most. It's almost saying to us, actually, one man is an island. And one man is not an island. We need each other. Anything that causes relational discord is not from the Lord. And so stand firm. Go be reconciled to your brothers and sisters, however hard it is. Stand against that. And then disconnection between us and the creation. This world matters. And so actually, if we find ourselves just not caring about our carbon footprint or not caring about recycling, let's pull ourselves out of that and know that we're called to treat this world well. Tom Wright's massive on this because he so believes in this new creation reality. And it's not that we're going to some floaty heavenly existence up there. Actually, heaven is coming here. And God is coming here because he so loves the creation. He is going to restore it. Actually, if we're a kingdom people, fully aware of heavenly realities, we should be so excited about the created order, so excited to treat it well. So awareness and proportion. Um, there's a guy called Guy Chevreau, actually. Um, he's a Canadian chap. And he writes something brilliant. He has an excellent book on spiritual warfare, Fix Your Eyes on Jesus, which is a lovely picture that I took there. There we go. Um, and he just says, do get the book, it's really good. <laughs> he just says, actually, life in the spirit is a bit like riding a bike. Balance is everything. One can fall off on either side. And so we need to be really balanced in this. Because the problem I think often in the church is that the charismatic tradition gets so excited about all these spiritual realities and deliverance ministry and all that sort of thing that we can almost fall off that side. And then the slightly more conservative end of things, and lots of my friends are very conservative Christians, um, so don't want to think about it at all and never teach about it, they fall off on that side. Actually, balance is everything. Awareness with perspective, with proportion. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. There are two and equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, falling off on that side. The other is to so believe that it becomes to an excessive and unhealthy extent, falling off on that side. And so actually when we um, perhaps step out in faith, 
Don't be worried at all if you have a bit of a weird day or a weird six days. Um, we started uh, Alpha on Wednesday, and it was a brilliant evening. But Wednesday itself was ridiculous. You know, I woke up on the wrong side of bed feeling a bit grumpy. Then the AV broke, then the heating broke, then the AV broke again, then the coffee machine broke, you know, and it was just ridiculous. But just a devil having a little niggle, a little harassment, stand firm in the faith and just walk that out. Equally, um, at a much more serious level, actually don't be surprised by hardship. Um, as Kate spoke last week and is um, walking out now for quite a long time, the Christian life, this side of eternity, this side of our heavenly dwelling place, was never made. The Bible never tells us that it's going to be simple. Actually, it says hardship is part of it. But as James says, consider it pure joy for you've been counted worthy. We worship a crucified God. And one day all will be restored. But whilst we're living in this interim reality, we're living in this now and not yet. Things can be really, really tough. Doesn't mean God isn't good. But it doesn't mean God isn't in control. So don't be surprised by hardship. And don't let hardship wreck your theology of God. Okay? Could go on. Um, and then strange spiritual experiences. Um, it may be for most of us that actually we won't have a strange spiritual experience. Um, I have seen some slightly odd things um, a lot of the time when I've visited uh, Eastern Africa. But equally, um, the young people I work with in Manchester, um, so this is about 10 years ago, at times, yeah, I saw a girl exhibit a demon. That was odd. Um, but getting that into perspective, actually, where I worked in Manchester, um, it's a sort of area where witchcraft is very, very heavy. So there was actually a sort of witch's coven in the parish. And so we knew that. And we knew that very occasionally it would affect our church and it would affect the life of the believer. So if you do find yourself at some point in life in a place where things are a bit spiritually strange, don't freak out. The name of Jesus is all in all, is powerful. The devil has no dominion and just, just stand on that. Um, for most of us, we won't see anything too exotic, um, but some of us might anyway. So, yes, uh, first point, awareness and proportion. Second point, responsibility and obedience. Actually, I'm sure we probably all know the Christian who just every now and again is like, I'm being spiritually attacked, I'm being spiritually attacked, I'm being spiritually attacked. Sometimes we just need to take responsibility for our own lives. And actually, we need to be really obedient to the word of God. And so Ephesians tells us, Paul writes, you know, do not give the devil a foothold. So in not giving the devil a foothold, that means obeying this text, obeying the word of God. So actually, where it says something like, take your Sabbath, take your day off, take your day off. Actually, if I don't take my day off, which I'm often very bad at, I'm trying to get better at, um, I'm really grumpy and I'm really tired. And then actually, I'm a bit tempted to do things I probably shouldn't do. And all of that, the devil gets a bit of a foothold just out of tiredness. God wasn't being just, you know, practically boring. He was like, you need Sabbath rest and know how you're made. Take your Sabbath. Um, on a deeper level, um, I 
I've just noticed over the years, um, I noticed it in my own life when I came back to faith and in the lives of um, people I've worked with, that um, sex and drugs seem to be the things that really allow a kind of negative spirituality to get in. Um, I think with sex, outside of you know God's parameters, that's because as Paul writes, it's the only sin that is internal to us. Everything else is external. And we're dwelling places of the spirit. So when we walk in stuff that isn't God's best for us, actually something could get churned up. Um, with drugs, it's just counterfeit Holy Spirit stuff. Actually, the devil can't do anything true or real. So all being really drunk is, or all being high is, it's just the devil's weird attempt at something that might be a bit like us being filled with the Spirit. But it just seems that those two areas sometimes really do allow a kind of spiritual hole to get in. So if that is you, don't need to worry about it too much. Just come, come into community, pray with people. But just know that um, those two things do sometimes kind of niggle. And then ultimately, before all else, we're called to worship and pray. We're a worshiping people. And so actually, when we think of anything like uh, spiritual wrestling, as I would like us to term it from now on, um, actually what it is is Christology, considering Christ. It's not demonology. It's not about us considering demons and saving them. It's about us considering Christ and all he has done and lifting him high. Actually, this message is about worship, not warfare. Because when we gather and we worship and we exalt the risen king, everything comes into perspective. The devil has no dominion at all. And so actually we're called to cultivate our relationship with God before us, to have our quiet times, to pray with people, to retreat where we can, to come to church, spend time with the body, to be people of the word who can stand in and on scripture through the power of the spirit. So we're border people living on this precipice between heaven and earth, and it's exciting, but it's, we're called to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. So we're going to gather now and take communion. What better way to have our eyes fixed on Jesus? And then after, we're going to have some time for worship and for prayer. So as you come to the table, you know your business with the Lord. Just let this settle. And whatever you want to do with the Lord in the coming half an hour of this space here. Amen.